Let us pray. Jesus, you are in fact our Lord. That's why we are here today and why we come to once again consider Holy Scripture. We just pray now, Lord, that you take the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart and make them wholly yours, that together as we consider this passage of Scripture, we might find ourselves actively listening, critically thinking, so that we might grow together in our capacity to radically love as we've been loved. These things I ask and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever I think of a pioneer, I think of David Crockett. David was born in 1786 in Limestone, Tennessee, along the Nolichucky River, 22 miles from the home in which I grew up. So, of course, I think of Davy Crockett. And no mention of Davy Crockett is truly complete without at least one verse of the song. And if you know the refrain, you can sing along. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, greenest state in the land of the free, Raised in the woods so he knew every tree, killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Y'all done pretty good. Now what I plan to do in the next couple of weeks is somehow work in all the other Tennessee songs like Rocky Top and the Tennessee Waltz. I ain't figured out how to do it yet. Now on homecoming Sunday, I spoke briefly about Camp Davy Crockett Boy Scout Camp. And some people in the room chuckled as though I was telling a tall tale. Therefore, today I provide you with pictorial evidence of Camp Davy Crockett. It's real. In one of the years that I was on staff there, I taught pioneering merit badge, which is essentially requiring to learn all sorts of knots and lashes and then put them into practice. And I just want to just share with you some of these uh, knots and lashes that those in the class had to learn. They had to learn the clove hitch, the butterfly knot, the round turn with two half hitches, the rolling hitch, the water knot, the carrick bend, the sheep shank, uh, the sheep bend, square lashing, diagonal round shear, tripod and floor lashing, and then they had to make a rope and use that rope and all of these lashings and uh, knots in order to construct something like this. And then somebody my size had to test it out and see if it worked. Y'all, there's a lot of work that went into that merit badge. And there's a lot of work that goes into pioneering. Even more when one is the pioneer. So welcome back to week number two of our sermon series, Hebrews, Merit Badges with Jesus. A couple of quick reminders about the series. This series is based off the New Testament book of Hebrews. Uh, it's a letter written to Jewish Christians who, in the face of difficulties... We're considering returning to Judaism, to the way things were before Jesus. As we considered in last week's Merit Badge orienteering, Jesus is the essence, the exact imprint of God, and the best revelation of the fullness of God's love. Therefore, we are to orient and continually reorient our lives toward following Jesus. Today, as we build upon the Merit Badge theme, we're also going to see that Jesus is the pioneer. And here's where the title comes from. In verse 10, the author writes, In bringing many sons to glory, it's fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, this word in the Greek, author, is also translated as founder, originator, 
or pioneer. And I think the message paraphrase really sums up the essence of this word. It makes good sense that the God who got everything started and the God that keeps everything going now completes the work by making the salvation pioneer perfect through suffering as he leads all these people to glory. Salvation pioneer. Love that. You know, God's original design was for people to share his glory. But because of the nature of original sin, people were separated from experiencing the face-to-face glory of God, who's a relational God. And since it's God's desire to restore our relationship with him before the eternal day, he made a way. He made a way when there was no way. God did this because relationships are intrinsic to God. After all, if you've ever really thought about, God himself is a relationship. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the blessed three in one. So at just the right time in human history, the triune God sent Jesus, that tangible essence of his relational nature and glory, to pioneer a way to us and back to him. Jesus knew the way to the Father, but no one else did, because the way back to heaven had not yet been made, had not yet been pioneered. Of course, we know the pioneering work of Jesus began with his incarnation, right? Since children have flesh and blood, the author writes, he too shared in their humanity. The author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus left his throne, left his throne to become incarnated into human flesh, sharing everything in common with humanity that was co-created in his image. Jesus was born. He grew up through the stages of childhood. Can you imagine what it must have been like to, to, to parent Jesus as a child? Imagine what it must have been like to give him a bath. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only person who's ever thought of this, but I, I'm like, if I was Jesus' parent, would I have been like, will you please quit parting the water? You know, I mean, what, was, what would it must have been like to raise Jesus? Everything you've gone through, he went through. Because we have a God that, that understands us, made us in his image. At the age of 30, when it was acceptable Under Jewish law, that a man could teach and speak publicly, Jesus launched his ministry. And in three and a half years, he turned the table on religion. He called the Jewish people and then the rest of the nations to follow him. He pioneered a way for humans to enter the presence of God's glory, God's paradise, his Eden. For this reason, he was made to be like his brothers, the writer says, in every way, in order that we might become a merciful, or that he might become a merciful and a high priest in service to God. That he might make atonement for the sins of people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Y'all doing okay? Because what I'm getting ready to get, I mean, this is called high Christology. It's a lot of theology. That's why I sang that David Crockett song for you, to put you at ease. Now the words high priest and atonement here, they're central to Jewish theology, especially at Jesus' time. They've become central to our theology as well. So I just want to tell you a little bit about the concept of high priest and atonement, okay? God the Father instituted the role of the high priest into the life of Israel so that they would understand the model of the future work of the Messiah. 
The purpose of the model was to point the people towards something that they could not do. They could not pay the penalty for sin. And on the Day of Atonement, only the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the mercy seat with the blood of the sin offerings for the nation of Israel. The high priest spoken of in the book of Hebrews is the only person through whom and through whose offering people can relationally reconnect with God. For this reason, the writer says, Jesus had to become human, to become the divine mediator between the triune God and the humanity that was made in his image. Because only a God who is fully God and fully human can fulfill the role of God's high priest. Through Jesus' pioneering work as the mediator between God and humanity, our sin nature is effectually removed and the way into the holiest, into heaven, is open. Y'all, the word atonement, it really just means favorable and gracious. Christ is spoken of as the high priest who in the fashion of the Old Testament sacrifice sprinkled not the blood of an animal sacrificed for one day, but graciously favored the world with the only blood sacrifice that lasts for eternity. Jesus is the high priest. He is the atonement, the gracious favor. Now, I know that this is pretty deep theology, especially for this early in the morning. And I know that I've been speaking Christianese to you for the last few minutes. So let me state all of this differently. Jesus is a trailblazing, road-building, pioneering kind of savior. Jesus is the intersection of God's justice and mercy and is its perfect expression. He went someplace no human had ever gone before. He pioneered a road from life to death to life and straight on to eternity. But the only way for him to pioneer that path was to enter where death dwells and defeat the fallen angel that had dominion over death. That's the angel of death, Satan. By the way, I've just, I've just offended all the progressive Christians in the world today. I've talked about Satan. I've talked about blood. Um, I've talked about all the things, sin. Oh, gosh. Do people talk about those anymore from the pulpit or am I the only one? As revelations remind us, Satan no longer holds the keys to hell and death. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. You know, God made people as ensouled beings. Our bodies are going to die, but we will not experience the death of our souls because Jesus pioneered a way for our souls to never die. But the pioneer offers even more. The pioneer offers pioneering skills for those who follow him. And so I'm going to share these three application points with you now and and, and then unpack them a little bit, okay? So here are the three skills that Jesus offers us as the pioneer. He offers us the support of a new family. A new family where shame is overcome. He offers us the strength to overcome temptation. He offers us the encouragement to overcome the fear of death. 
Now listen, there's going to be times when we do not overcome because we are overwhelmed. You ever been overwhelmed? You know that's okay. That's what it means to be human. But when we practice our pioneering skills, when we lean into the support and the strength and the encouragement of Jesus the pioneer, he will help us overcome, especially when we are overwhelmed. But you see, because these feelings of being overwhelmed are often so big, we can't recognize all of the blessings, all of the ways in which Jesus helps us to regularly overcome things like shame and temptation and the fear of death. So let's consider pioneering skill number one, friends. Support of a new family where shame is overcome. Hebrews 2.11 says, Both the one who makes men and women holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Listen. Jesus makes people holy. You are holy by relationship. Not by what you do, but by Jesus with whom you spend time. All of us in the family of Christ are made holy through Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more he makes us holy inside first and then outside. Some of our outsides take longer than others. And I think that's really important for us to remember and important for us to apply because God intends for his family, listen, to be a safe place where we can find support for our everyday lives and grow in holiness together. Sadly, in many congregations, family support is not given. Instead, judgment and gossip and slander pollute the atmosphere, denying gracious acceptance of all. The world is a difficult enough place to live on its own, isn't it? Living in the kingdom of God is meant to be a sanctuary. A sanctuary from the world that prepares us to go back out into the world and live like Jesus. So we need to support each other. We need to love each other. We need to graciously accept each other's humanity. And then continually make space for new humans to come and be among us. Welcomed into the family. And here's why. If you've not listened at all today, I want you to tune back in right now. Here's why. So that shame does not define a person's soul. Shame has a way of binding us to the past in an unhealthy way. In fact, shame can be a prison through which we define ourselves instead of allowing God to define us. Church should be a place where the chains of shame are broken. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that some of you here today are struggling with shame. I know how deeply you are hiding your shame. I know that your shame and how how it makes you feel about yourself. I know that. I also know that because of your shame, you think you are unworthy of love. I know that because my shame used to make me feel the same way. And on the days when I'm feeling overwhelmed, shame creeps up on me and tries to pull me back into the prison from which Jesus already set me free. So don't allow shame from your past or shame in your present 
to separate you from the love of God and the family of God. Because God is not ashamed of you. God is not ashamed of you. God died for you. He is not ashamed of you. And neither am I. Shame may be a part of the human condition, but shame does not have to define us or bind us. Jesus came to set us free from shame and step into the glorious light of his love to be in a holy community with one another so that we can take the good news of the God who delivers us from shame, who overcomes shame, and we can take that good news into the darkness of the world where shame seems to be winning. The pioneer offers us the support of a new family and the love and acceptance that helps us overcome shame. The pioneer also offers us the strength to overcome temptation. 2.18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus was made flesh at his birth, y'all. Made like the rest of us in his earthly life. Jesus knows from personal experience what it's like to be tempted and to overcome temptation. And I love this verb here that I've underlined. To help. The literal translation of this verb is to run on hearing a cry. To give assistance. In other words, whenever we call upon the name of Jesus, he comes running. So don't close off a future of living because you're trapped in shame for which Jesus already died. Call upon Jesus. He will come running. Don't close off a future because of living because you can't overcome a temptation. Even if you fail to overcome one, one day, then maybe the next day you'll succeed. But even when you fail, and you are because you're human, so we're all going to fail. Jesus has already won. He, he's already won. We already belong to him. So we can call upon the name of Jesus whenever we want to, and he's going to come running because he is the God who is with us. This is what the pioneer does. He offers us the strength to overcome temptations and the support of a new family where shame has overcome Friends, listen, perhaps the most important pioneering skill that Jesus offers us is this. He offers us the strength and the encouragement, the encouragement to overcome the fear of death. Hebrews 2, 14, 15 says, Since children have flesh and blood, he too shared in humanity, etc. The power, and then he said, free those who all their lives were held by slavery, by the fear of death. The fear of death. You know the fear of death is Satan's strongest weapon. The fear of death, as we've discussed in other sermons, motivates people to behave in all sorts of peculiar and destructive ways. But Jesus, the pioneer, he's rescued us from that fear so that we don't have to live our lives in that fear. As the Apostle Paul reminds us, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness And brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Listen. Every person is born. Every person lives. Every person dies. These are facts. The number of our days are known only by God. So why is every human intrinsically scared of death when we all know we're going to die someday. 
I think, I think it's because our souls, our energy, you know, that slice of the divine is living in each person. I think it's because our souls don't know what it is to live without our body. But God does. And God says there's more. There is so much more than we can ask or imagine. Through Jesus, we don't have to worry about what comes after death. Because our souls already belong to the kingdom that will never, ever, 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 ever end. Jesus has rescued our souls. But the rescue just isn't for eternity, you all. It's for right now. So fear not. Live as though dying is not the end. Because that's how we're called to pioneer this thing. We are called to live as though dying is not the end. And know that Jesus the pioneer, who is faithful to us in the body, will be faithful to us when our souls leave our bodies and travel through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember, Jesus has been there too. He already pioneered a way through it. And that means he will not let your foot slip. So live. Live, beloved, live. And let the world see you practicing your pioneering skills as you follow the path pioneered by Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the salvation pioneer of our faith. Amen.